The upcoming episodes that I'm going to do about James Bond movies will contain spoilers, obviously, so if you do want to watch the movies, I suggest you don't listen to these episodes and you watch the movies that I'm going to cover. Uh, if you don't really care and just supporting the podcast episode, thank you. I appreciate it, first of all. But uh, enjoy, but you have been warned. I'm sure literally none of you care, but just, yeah, I just have to put this just in case someone is really upset that I spoiled something in the movie. These are reviews. Uh, thank you. Yes, enjoy the episode. Hello. Welcome back to Dubiology. It's been a while, but I took some time off to focus on work and school. Especially school, as I'm in the final two weeks of my school year, and I really need to focus on finals. But we're back. In this episode today, I'll be recovering the James Bond film Casino Royale. In the year of 2006, Eon Productions released Casino Royale to an overwhelming amount of positive reviews. Gone of the campier films in the Roger Moore of the 70s, and the ludicrous sexy era of Pierce Brosnan in the 90s. Daniel Craig is the new James Bond, and he delivers a dark, haunted, and gritty reinvention of the 007 character. In this episode, I will go over the premise of the film, the plot, and what makes this film um, film so, so good. Honestly, if you didn't know, this is my favorite James Bond film, and also my favorite film ever. This film is what inspired me to follow up with the following 007 reviews that I have slated for the podcast. Meaning, as I mentioned in the intro, I'm going to be covering 007 movies and books. The books are written by author Ian Fleming, and I definitely recommend them. I can't recommend it enough. This will also be one of the final uh, episodes in the Phase 1. Phase 1 of the podcast is basically the first few episodes, just a kickstart. Phase 2 will really kickstart the podcast and the the growth I expect over the next few years, because I do plan on doing this long term. Uh, It's going to be more serious and gritty, kind of like this episode, and we'll edit it, hopefully. Uh, Presentation on this episode is different. I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. Enjoy. After the release of Die Another Day in 2002, Eon Productions felt criticism for heavy use of CGI and a bad film script for the movie. Pierce Brosnan was good as Bond, but the cast wasn't as swell. They felt the need to rebrand the image of James Bond, and thus, the search for a new 007 began. In October 2005, Daniel Craig was announced as the new James Bond to heavy criticism, not fitting the image of author Ian Fleming's Bond fantasy to most fans. Tall, dark, and suave is what they originally thought. Instead of Craig, he was short, not as charismatic, and also blonde. Ain't that swell. Eon Productions wanted the darkest edge of Bond to be shown in Casino Royale, something similar to Fleming's 1953 novel in which the film was adapted from. In preparation for the role, Daniel Craig actually read all of Fleming's novel, uh, sorry, novels to capture the magnitude of Bond. Craig was not interested in playing Bond up until he read the script of the movie. Uh, filming for Casino Royale began in January of 2006, and it also ended in January, uh, July of 2006. Sorry, it was shot in Prague, Czech Republic, and also the Bahamas, Italy, and the UK. They originally wanted to shoot in South Africa, also, but they replaced that with the Bahamas for the beginning scene that took place in uh, Madagascar in the film. So there's a bit of trivia right there. This is just the premise of the film. On to the actual review. The film begins in black and white, almost tricking you into thinking that Connery's 60s era Bond is back, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. 
I remember first watching this movie as a kid. We were where the traditional gun bearer was in the beginning of the film. Instead, we just got to see Bond interrogating some contact, Dryden, an MI6 employee who's selling money under the table. Or contact, should I say. However, the opening gets dark really fast, as we see Bond fighting Dryden's contact in uh, Pakistan, I think. It's either Pakistan, it's one of the countries in southeastern Asia. Um, after Bond kills Dryden, and then gives uh, our first Bond quip of the Craig era, uh, the contact is still alive in the bathroom. Oh, so Bond didn't finish the job. The contact, uh, he attempts to kill Bond, but Bond turns around and kills the contact. And blood flows, and you know my name starts playing. That's the gun barrel. I remember first seeing that, and I lost my mind. Wow, never thought they could put a unique spin on the gun barrel. For starters, I love that the gun barrel is Fawn's first ever kill. Well, Craig Bond. Technically, in the continuity, if this is considered a reboot, it is Bond's first ever kill. Right before Dryden, which would be a second kill, which is where he learns his license to kill. I said kill like five times in the last 30 seconds. I'm really sorry about that. Um, as I flip my paper, because I have a lot of notes written down, you know, um, the title sequence is awesome. They chose the uh, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden to perform the Bond song, and it's the best Bond song you know, um, why did I skip ahead? It is the best Bond song ever written, in my personal opinion, of the 25 films. You Know My Name is terrific, and I definitely give it a recommendation. We are first introduced to the Sheaf after the title sequence, and he's played by Mads Mikkelsen, a phenomenal actor and a great choice to play the Sheaf. He is one of the best Bond villains, and his introduction just lets us know that uh, he is the film's tone. Like, lets us know of the film's tone. He's not the film's tone. Um, he has this condition with his eye, where his eye, like, bleeds. It's like inducing tears, but it's not really tears. He's not really crying. It's just, it, it, I, it's a really rare condition. I can't even pronounce it. I should probably write it down next time. Um, but he is talking to a terrorist in Africa. And basically the plot of the film, if you guys don't know it, Bond earns his license to kill, the sheep's organizing terrorism. He plans to make a lot of money in a high-stakes poker game to fund all that terrorism, and Bond is sent to stop it because he is the only MI6. Well, I wouldn't say only. He's probably the best MI6 employee when it comes to poker, so it's all luck, really. Um, but that leads to Madagascar, where Bond is chasing someone, and it leads to the first big action piece, which is the parkour scene. It is excellent. Bond uses taxes that only Bond would use, such as going in the drywall, while um, others would jump over that drywall. Um, he shows arrogance and brash. The enemy almost escapes, but uh, Bond catches him down. Rather than letting him go, he shoots him dead and blows up the embassy. He also ditches the embassy so he can grab the dude's bag and look in his contacts to notice that epilepsy. Uh, Olympus? I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's the contact for the Sheep's organization, and that's where all the terrorism is being funded and bond ends up going to a um clubhouse in the bahamas i think and he uses that to hack into a computer and figure out you know what the sheep is planning in this poker game and also they also plan on going to a miami airport and blowing that airport up such and such which bond succeeds in preventing that from happening and that leads to the plot of the movie which we will get to in a second um yeah, I think that's a pretty good introduction to Craig Bond. The next section of the episode will be me talking about the actors and also the just the plot of the movie, I guess. So, yeah, that was really just a pre-title sequence in the opening. That's about it. Yeah, this is really awkward.
kick-starting our section where I talk about the actors, I'm going to start off with Judy Dench. Dame Judy Dench, to me, sorry. She's back as M, and it was a great decision to bring her back from the Brosnan era. She was good as M in the Brosnan era, but she brings her A-game in Craig's films, especially Quantum of Solace and Skyfall. She was great in this film, but she really shines in those two. I will eventually review those films, as they are a part... Well, Skyfall is in my top five favorite Bond films, but uh, Quantum is in the mid-tier. We'll get to Quantum eventually. Skyfall will be quicker than usual. Um, she's awesome, as I said. She's a great choice for M. Probably the best M actor, in my personal opinion, because they actually allow her to act, and she brings her A-game to every film she's in. I don't think there's a bad Bond film that Dame Judi Dench is in, so props to her. She's an amazing actor. Um, let's talk more about Lashif, as I mentioned him in the last section. He's without a doubt a top Bond villain. He's killed off a, bit, a, tid, uh, a tad bit early. There's a spoiler, but I gave you a warning, so don't get mad at me. But his impact shines throughout the film, and to be honest, throughout Craig Bond era as well. Mads Mikkelsen, as I stated earlier, was an excellent choice for the actor of Lashif. Like Sir Christopher Lee, he was just born to play a Bond villain. Like, you watch his movies and you're like, man, he'd be good as a Bond villain. And then what do the Eon Productions do? They cast him as a Bond villain. And you're like, yeah, I said this a long time ago, and it actually happened. Yeah, uh, he's weeping blood, Like as I mentioned. It's awesome. I still haven't wrote down the condition. I'm not going to pronounce it. It's really hard. I'm sorry. Um, I haven't talked about Vesper Lynn, which is the Bond girl of the movie, but I have a lot to cover about her, so we're just going to get into that now. She is, without a doubt, the second best Bond girl, right behind Tracy Bond of her maj- on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Another film in my top ten, which I will get to eventually, um, as I flip my notebook again. Unlike most other Bond girls, Vesper feels real. Like, okay. She feels important to the script, is what I mean. Actually, very important to the story. She actually leaves a very large impact on Craig Bond's films. As, you know, Craig Bond kind of has this continuity where, you know, it's a reboot of 007. So they feel the need to, like, make a continuous story of Bond. Whereas, you know, Connery, Moore, and Brosnan, and Dalton, they all had their films like just adventures so like one film was like an adventure and then bond end up you know like getting the girl and then they kiss and they whatever and then the next film you just don't really know about what happened in the last film because they don't really mention it it's just bond on another mission which is usually just how james bond's story should go i don't i don't know i feel because they wanted to like kind of base it off of fleming's novels i i sound awful they kind of wanted to base craig bond off of fleming's novels in the way that you know the stories kind of flowed on and continued like they mentioned his last mission in the last book or whatever and they'd be like okay your mission's this but don't forget about what happened in the last book or in this case don't forget about what happened in the last movie for example casino royale is just a introduction the origin story quantum of solace is their revenge story skyfall is it's a 50th anniversary movie so it's kind of just like a standalone in my opinion it doesn't have any it doesn't have too big of a connection to quantum and casino royale uh specter is kind of a continuation of skyfall as to how no time to die is a continuation to specter i will get to no time to die pretty soon and it's also in my top 10 specter is at my bottom five films so it's going to be a while before i get to that film it's awful um it isn't talked about as often, but the film also, um, the film in the novel of Casino Royale is a love story. What I mean by that is that Vesper is very important, as I mentioned. Eva Green is Vesper Lynn in the movie. Literally no one else could have handled the role as well as she did. She knocked it right out of the park. Probably the best performance in the movie, to be honest with you. As I mentioned with the novel and the film of Casino Royale, the poker plot is obviously considered the most important thing, but it's always Vesper. 
truly Vesper. Um, Bond leaves, not, um, sorry, not leaves. Bond learns not to trust others when the inevitable happens at the end of the movie with Vesper. I will get into that later. It's, it's sad. Um, as for the man himself, Daniel Craig brings his A-game. People did not like him as Bond when he was casted in 2005, but he put on a top five performance as Bond to the franchise. Literally, it's so good. I, I can't recommend this movie enough. It's, everything about it's so good. I don't know anything bad about it. But obviously, he's gritty, arrogant, brash, and confident. But he also shows vulnerability. He also shows emotion. He's definitely the most ruthless Bond actor, but also the most emotional. If you've seen No Time to Die, you, you know what I mean. It's, he's, it's like Casino Royale and Quantum build him up as this really, really um, ruthless guy. Like, oh, I kill people for a living. Oh, I don't care about killing people. Oh, oh, I'm angry all the time. Oh, oh. And then in No Time to Die, he's like, oh, no, my daughter, please. No, no, no. Happy, happy Bond. Sad Bond. Caring Bond. Sorry. That's really all for this section. The next section would just be me talking about what the film does really, really well and the plot of the film, which is just the poker scenes. So, yeah, another awkward sequence. You know, starting Dubiology was tough. However, it couldn't have been any more difficult if I wasn't using Anchor. Thankfully, I was. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast on your phone or PC at any time. Anchor also allows you to distribute your podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more websites that allow editing for podcasts. Best part about it? It is all free. F-R-E-E. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Anchor.fm is a website link again. Thank you! As for the plot of the film, I guess that's what you're all here for in this review. Um, just want to start off by saying that Lashif uh, bluffing at every single round of the table is funny. Like, it's genuinely uh, hilarious. It's genuinely hilarious to me. And it's just ten times funnier because... Bu- what are you doing? Why are you... Okay, Jimmy. Sorry, my cat's weird. But him having a full table full table full set of cards at the table and bond being the only one noticing that he's bluffing is just hilarious to me uh, i also find it funny that bond losing to the chief with a full house of aces over kings is just ridiculous and the possibilities that happening is astronomical um literally only one of the hands could have beat him uh beat him and that would have been four jacks in which the chief had however the odds of that happening is like one in a billion that's not me saying one in a billion it's genuinely one in a billion like it's impossible for that to happen um if bond folded it he would have been just the greatest poker player ever but he also would have been cheating so um you know, I state those things as not as critiques, but because I love this film so much, and that's what makes James Bond movies so special. They don't need to be realistic. Even in a realistic setting such as Casino Royale and a gritty feeling, the film doesn't need to feel real. It can still have its James Bond moments, and that's one of them. Uh, honestly, plus, a realistic poker game would have been boring. Let's be honest. No one wants to watch people play poker for... I mean, the poker scene is about 30 minutes to 50 minutes of the movie screen time, so... I don't know. 
Um, but after Bond beats with Sheaf in the table, uh, Vesper seems to get caught up in the trap after they go out for dinner uh, and gets Bond and herself kidnapped. In comes the interrogation scene in that one bunker, which is, uh, in my opinion, one of the best scenes of the 25 movies that have been published in the Eon Productions James Bond series. Uh, I think Mads Mikkelsen and Daniel Craig go all out for this scene. It's really nice. Well, it's not nice. It's kind of uncomfortable. Uh, I should mention that it's a torture scene. Um, uh, basically, they cut down a chair. and This is a graphic warning. They cut down a chair, and they sit Bond right there. And they put for the... So Daniel Craig didn't get injured. They put fiberglass. But basically, the chief was... He had a rope, and the rope had an end to it. It was, like, big, and... Every single time Daniel Craig didn't give the chief the passcode, he would hit him with the rope in the double O's. Let's just say that. But uh, it's one of the best scenes in the franchise because it's, you could just feel the intensity and realism in it. Every moment leading up to this and the two men in the room have been have nothing else to lose. This movie that uh, sorry, I'm sick, so I'm kind of like sneezing, uh, stuffing a lot. Uh, I sound worse than I did in my previous segments because I'm recording this over different days. But um, the movie shows that Bond isn't heroic. Superhuman ability? Sure. He's not a hero, however. Bond is brave, though, and he shows not uh, to no amount of torture or obstacles can prevent him from getting uh, no, finishing a mission. Uh, a common theme throughout the Craig films. As I turn my page so I can look at the notes I wrote. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen did an excellent job as uh, the chief, obviously, as I mentioned, but the scene with the interrogation just adds on to his legend. He plays along to Craig's bravery with going uh, from confident to really, really desperate and wanting the passcodes. It's a great performance and a great scene with everyone involved, including the guy who made the chair, Props. Um, enter Mr. White into the film. Mr. White walks in, he kills the two goons, and then he sees the sheep, and the sheep's like, no, I'll pay you the money, and then he's like, you, your time's up, bud. You, you didn't pay it in time. You lost. And he shoots him right between the eyes. The sheep's dead. And you would think that's uh, the climax of the movie, but we're not even close. Um, game over for the sheep, but this is taken directly from the novel, except in the novel, the one shooting the sheep is someone who works for Spectre. I forgot who it is. I need to go reread that novel, Casino Royale. But he doesn't work for uh, Quantum, which in the film, Mr. White works for an organization named Quantum, which is revealed more in Quantum of Solace, which is the next film after Casino Royale. And um, Quantum is revealed to be a division under Spectre, which is revealed in the movie Spectre in 2015. As I mentioned in the other segment, Spectre is awful. I'm not going to get to that movie for a while. Um, but... Spectre had been the one financing the chief's earnings and stuff like that. The chief didn't pay him back, so they killed him. And Blofeld is the one behind most of Craig Bond's villains, which we will get to at a later date. Um, it is complicated. I'm sorry if you didn't understand anything I just said. I mean, if you were to watch the movies, you'd understand. After that, the film has been. I mean, the film has nowhere to go. Uh, the last 20 minutes are kind of dragging. I mean, it's not terrible, but you know, they could have done more with it which is the next segment, me talking about the climax of the film instead of the plot, the main plot of the film. I expected that segment to be longer. Here's another awkward transition. I have a theory. I feel like the last 20 minutes of Casino Royale was always meant to be the first 20 minutes of Quantum of Solace. What I mean by that is, the film drags in the last 20 minutes. 
Bon and Vesper, uh, Vesper recover at a home in Italy, and the uh, two share, uh, seem to fall in love. Why did I say share? They seem to fall in love. Bon tells Vesper that he doesn't want to kill anymore, and he just wants to exchange all that for his love, his eternal love for Vesper. There's so much love. And they were on a beach when Bon says that, and then they go to uh, Venice, Italy for a little vacation, a little break from everything that's been going on in the last two hours. Um, but the two take shore in Venice, and M calls Bond and says, Hey, good job winning and all that, but like, when are you going to deposit the earnings? In an earlier scene, Bond did deposit the earnings. Vesper, he gave Vesper the passcode for that. The issue is Vesper left a few minutes before M called Bond at the hotel, and there's a slow realization cam on Bond realizing that, yeah, Vesper's taking the money. Uh, it's before he realizes it's too late, Bond leaves and he chases down Vesper. Uh, where, did, where, am I? where am I? No, no, no. Uh, Bond follows Vesper out, and he uh, sees her dealing with these three other men. One is a guy with an eye patch. I don't know his name. Um, when the men realize that Bond's there, he threatens to... I mean, they threaten to kill him, and he's just like, allow me. And then a whole fight ensues. It's actually a really nice action set piece. You guys should check it out when you watch the movie. If you do, it's up to you. Uh, but it's cool. Before that happens, uh, you know... <laughs> Sorry, I skipped a note. The... The building that they're in collapses because there's just so much chaos going on. I think Bond shoots at something pressurized and it causes the building to collapse. But before it collapses, Vesper locks herself in a cage that leads into the Venice Rivers when the building collapses and Bond goes and follows her. Bond realizes that she's stuck in the cage and uh, he's shaking the rattles of the cage trying to get her out, trying to unlock it, trying to do everything he can to get her out. But it's too late. He watches Vesper drown away, but he's eventually able to pull her to shore. Uh, it's like near the building on top of a roof, and once Bond attempts, uh, attempts, attempts CPR, he realizes that Vesper's dead and she can't be saved. Vesper just sits, Vesper. Bond sits there for a few moments just realizing the mistake he's made. After that, I and mean, Bond speak again, Bond is on a sale in Venice, and he's speaking about what happened to Vesper, and... There's a line taken from the novel I'm not going to say because it's like the last line in the novel. But if you could go look for it, it'd be nice. I'm not going to say it on the podcast. But basically, he says that. I appreciate them taking that from the novel. I think that was pretty cool. There was a quote from Mathis from the novel as well saying, Oh, the heroes and villains get mixed up. And that was in the film as well. I thought that was cool. But yeah, they're speaking. And then Bond was able to retrieve Vesper's phone. Uh, she goes, she goes, he goes through her contacts and he realizes that there is a contact named Mr. White. Uh, I mentioned Mr. White in the last segment as the guy who killed the chief, a part of the Quantum organization. The last uh, set piece of the film is Mr. White driving to his mansion or whatever it is, just staring off into the distance. He gets a call, uh, and then Mr. Bond is like, well, we need to talk Mr. White, and then he shoots him in the leg, and then Mr. White's calling up the steps. James Bond has a rifle in his hand, which just looks weird because he usually has a Walter PPK or PP9. But yeah, he walks up the stairs and he's like, the name is Bond, James Bond, and then you get the James Bond theme. Uh, this is the first time the James Bond theme is played throughout the movie because, uh, as I mentioned, Casino Royale is an origin story. It was never meant to be. Uh, I think You Know My Name was actually replaced as a James Bond theme just so uh, Daniel Craig's James Bond's uh, inexperience in the role. Well, I wouldn't say in the role, just inexperience because it's his first movie. It's like James Bond. You get the point. Uh, yeah. We get the classic theme. It's awesome. It's cool. I flip my notebook as I check my notes. Personally, I feel that the novel the, and the book... Wait, the, what? why did I put that? I feel like in the novel and the film, Vesper and Bond's relationship is just a little rushed. It's not like, oh, I can't believe it, but you can believe they fell in love, but like, 
it's not all too realistic. If they introduced him earlier, I would have been like, okay, that makes more sense. But they didn't do that. Instead, it's just a rushed relationship. Um, that's really my only criticism. And I wouldn't even consider it bad criticism. Just the last 20 minutes of the film. Uh, while I think that the last 20 minutes drag, it is worth mentioning that the final scene with Bond and Mr. White is the perfect culmination of the last two hours and 20 minutes. Two hours and 20 minutes. Sorry, as I mentioned, I'm sick, so I sound a little awful. Uh, Bond coming into his own is just a basis of Casino Royale. I also want to point out that while I love Casino in the four-fifths of the Craig films, I hate Spectre. I cannot mention that em- uh, enough. His overarching story in the films make it lose its Bond charm, meaning, you know... I understand why they did the whole overarching story because they want to go and base it off of a... They want to make it like a newer franchise. Like, hey, Daniel Craig's the new James Bond. He's doing his own thing. Like, it was cool with Quantum of Solace how Quantum takes place directly after Casino Royale. But it's it's not as cool when... I mean, Skyfall is a standalone film. Skyfall will be... I'll get to that soon because, as I mentioned, Skyfall is in the top five of my favorites. Um... Skyfall is a standalone. It's not really directly after Quantum or Casino. I guess Spectre and No Time to Die are an overarching story as well, considering Madeline in those movies. God. Um, I mean, it's not awful. I wish it was done better. It kind of loses, you know, the James Bond is just on another mission instead it's just a story. It's not as bad, I guess. That's the end of this section. My next section will be the conclusion. Casino Royale is a fantastic reinvention that changes the usual pace of Bond films, but also keeps its usual charm and diversity from other action franchises. The film is fresh, beautiful, witty, and definitive. Outside of a slight fragment in Vesper and Bond's relationship, there isn't much negative things to say about it. It took a while for me to realize this as a kid, but Daniel Craig in Casino Royale is one of the best debut performances for a film. Next time on these reviews for 007, I'll be covering Pierce Brosnan's beloved debut film Goldeneye. It's a great game and also a great novel as well. Thanks for listening to this review. I really hope you guys liked it, as this is a change in direction for the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for watching this episode. If you liked this episode, make sure to check out other social media outlets for Dubiology, such as my Instagram and Snapchat. My Instagram is dubialgy2022, and my Snapchat is also dubialgy2022. You can also find me on other social media outlets soon enough. This is just a little thing I'm putting at the end of my episodes at this point in time. This will be updated soon. Otherwise, thank you for all the support lately. Thank you for watching this episode. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks.